Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarind Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Will now be recorded. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirby Rossblock, and today we have a very special guest. Kristen Kepler is here with us. She's a newly minted author and written a fantastic book that we're going to talk a little bit more about. It's called The Myth of the Silver Spoon. And Kristen is an incredible consultant, advisor, chief learning officer. She wears many, many different hats. But Kristen, I just want to welcome you and hear a little bit more about your story and how you got to be doing what you're doing and your new book. Awesome. Thank you, Kirby. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, maybe the the it, it would be worthwhile to share the quick story of how I got to be sitting in this chair that I'm sitting in today. Um, and then we can dive into the books. I think there's some fun stuff that that we can unpack there together. Um, so I've been, a, I've been a consultant and a coach in this space for almost two decades. Um, when I first started my work, working with ultra high net worth families and enterprising families, it was, I was 29, which is like really way too young for anyone to take me seriously as a consultant. Um, but back then, really what I wanted to do and what I, what I set out to do was to coach the rising gen in affluent and enterprising families to help give them a feeling of, of, of empowerment so that they could feel like they could actually sit at their, the decision-making table in their families and um, the decision-making table of their own life. And you know, we didn't even call them rising gen back then. We called them next gen. Um, and that's a, a cohort that I um, also am a part of. So I'm the, the second generation in my family. And really the the pathway for me getting into this work was because I was just trying to figure things out myself. So I spent a lot of my 20s. Um, the company, My dad um, and oldest brother started a company when I went to college that they took public and then they sold. So all this these sort of wealth events happened right at a time when I was coming out of college, getting ready to go to graduate school. And um, and I had these two paths in my life where one, I was um, I started a master's degree in public health and was spending time really sort of embedded in the public health world, right? In a, a world of, of public service and all of my friends were there to, to be public servants in some way or another. And, um, and then also on this alternate path, we started having family meetings and talking about estate planning and I was signing documents at the the big, you know, the big building downtown and big conference tables and never knew exactly what I was signing. And um, and so there were these two elements of my 20s that just felt like they were parallel paths, not intersecting paths. And I spent a lot of um, a lot of time in my 20s trying to figure out like how do how do I build the skills to even know what we're talking about at these meetings? And we had great advisors who were heartful and kind. And I still walked out of meeting after meeting, not really understanding what we were talking about or how I could actually be a meaningful steward, right? Like that was always the, we're sharing this with you because we want you to be stewards of, of what we've created. And this without knowledge about what that actually 
meant or what we were talking about, it was impossible for me to consider how one might be a good steward. Um, so ultimately that led me to this work, which I will, the, the short version of the story is I feel super lucky. I've always had Rising Gen and that work with the Rising Gen and families deep in my heart because I feel like there's so much potential and so much, um, yeah, so much power in the rising generation in these families that have generally significant wealth and significant social networks. And there's also a lot of um, areas where there's just hidden tripwires that, you know, we don't do a great job talking about. And we, to, to point out where, where someone who is raised with wealth and privilege, who by all outside accounts, everybody says, well, you have everything. Like why, one, how could you have any problems? And two, how could you not just be knocking it out of the park? You were born on third base. And recognizing that <clears throat> there is hidden tripwires that make it, psychologically speaking, that make it more difficult for um, rising gen to really find their way. And the more we can shine a light on them, we can help them sidestep them, and then we can help them build the skills so that they ultimately can use the financial capital and social capital and human capital in their in their worlds to do something to live a life of meaning um so that's uh that brings me more to today i um i eventually got a dual master's degree in public health and business and i love the business side of things um it was an accidental business degree at, um, which is a story for another time but it turns out i loved getting it i'm really happy that i have that skill set and then ultimately went back to the University of Pennsylvania and got a master's in applied positive psychology. And so this, this work, my work today in this book is really sort of the confluence of all of those areas of interest. Um, so it's, it's exciting to have had the chance to have written it. Well, your backstory and your um, personal experiences really enrich, right? Um, the, the voice in your, your book. And I'm sure it's also why you know, you find the connectivity so natural and so easy with your families and with your clients. And I definitely feel kindred to you in that, you know, if it wasn't coming from a similar background where I felt like I didn't have the skills and resources completely to handle sort of the fact pattern I was born into, that that really helps galvanize, right? This need to help others, right? And it it is a way, an extension of, your public health work, right? You're just you're just using it and doing it in a different um, sort of cadre of clients. But let's talk about your book because there's so many cool elements in this that I want to talk about. But I think I want to focus on the middle part of your book, which is talking about clutter. And I have to say, in my grown-up years, I've determined that I'm like much happier when I am not consumed by clutter. And I want you to tell us a little bit more about the four clutters that you unpack in your book, because it's fantastic. You talk about money, identity, relationship, and contribution clutter. And I would just give me a highlight or a, a preview of what, what you share in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me first start by saying that I think the analogy of clutter really, um, like once once it started forming for me that like this is what I, I very often would talk to clients about sort of the clutter in their way, but I hadn't really um, connected that idea to a bigger framework and really thought through 
kind of like, well, what, what, when number one, what is clutter actually in our lives? And two, how does, how do inner beliefs and inner, and the mindsets we have drive outer behavior? And how do those two things create this cycle of inner clutter and outer clutter? And, you know, one of the great things about writing a book is that it forces you to crystallize your thinking so that you can actually share that thinking with others more coherently. Yeah. And that was one of the, the outcomes of this for me was actually having to really distill like, what do I mean when I say clutter to people? And what I, what I realized is that, you know, we all have a common understanding of what clutter is generally in our lives, right? It's like, it's generally the disorganized, non-essential stuff that accumulates in sort of the shadowy places, right? Think like closets and drawers, not foyers and front yards. It's not the stuff we project to the world. It's the stuff that we're like, uh, I don't really know what to do with this right now. And we shove it away to be dealt with another day. And um, and it's it's generally a disorganized mass of stuff that probably when you when you really look at it, doesn't really serve you and you don't need. And so that idea of of clutter being a disorganized mess of stuff that we hide away to be dealt with another day. Um, is I think really compelling because I think probably most people I know have also had the experience at least of cleaning out their clothes closet, right? Where you're like, this yeah, is so yeah. in here, I can't even, like, I don't even know what I want to wear because I can't see anything. And then you yeah. go through, like, this thing doesn't fit. This thing's got a ripped arm and you clean it out and suddenly being in your closet feels kind of exciting again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that same feeling applies to or that same process and feeling applies to this idea of these other kinds of clutter that um, that I typically see in Rising Gen. And so you you named them that the four main types of clutter I see are um, money clutter, identity clutter, relationship clutter and contribution clutter. And so let me let me unpack um, those. So money clutter is it's generally the kind of things that are like false beliefs or old ways of thinking that we probably don't even know that we have. It's like we've inherited some belief system from our parents and grandparents, and some of it might be really helpful, right? It may be things like, you know, we put on, on our pants one leg at a time, just like everyone else. Um, or it may be things that are not helpful. Like I have heard more rising gen than I can count say that when their parents told them, you know, we earned all this so you could go find your passion. We just want you to go find your passion. And they're like 21 and, and you know, going, well, I must have that missing gene because I, like, I don't know how one would go do that. I don't know, like, and then they feel lost and then they feel stuck. And then, and then it turns into a cycle where that belief that like, well, I must not have anything to contribute, right? Where, it, and then it, it starts to build up this contribution clutter, um, which we'll get to in a minute. So money clutter is like it's it's both the internal beliefs and the mindsets we have around money and wealth and what those two things mean to us. Um, and then often extends out into outer clutter, like the, having you know a lack of basic financial skills or the ability to really know um, kind of how to budget or why would it matter to understand cash flow and and the fact that not understanding those basic personal financial skills makes it so that a rising gen continues to feel really stuck and feel like they are in a rusted development because they don't know how to really um what it takes to support their own life so money clutter is a big mass of stuff and in the book i define 
money and wealth as being interrelated but different. Money being sort of the day-to-day -day stuff we interact with, um, you know, like you can pay your rent or your mortgage or buy coffee, but and wealth being an abstraction. And and like, you yeah. know, it's just so big that it's just they you're looking at numbers on a page. You can't really figure out how that how to interact with with something called wealth. Um, and in order to get to the place where you could effectively interact with something called wealth, you have to build the the personal money skills and then eventually build beneficiary skills and then and build the ability to actually interact with the ecosystem that is around this thing called wealth. The advisors, the structures, um, you know, stuff that that the people who are familiar with your work know that you help people plug into all of those skills. Um, so that's money clutter. Um, so identity clutter is the, the, typically the second kind, or it's another kind of clutter that I see really commonly. And that this is um, false beliefs and um, kind of a, a, maybe a missing sense of who I am as an individual, separate from my family name, separate from my family wealth, that, that it's really about um, either accepting other people's projections on to me, right, you know, as an individual, like, oh, I come from the XYZ family, that must mean this about you. When when they don't, you know, when when you're not known as an individual, you're known as part of the whole that the community around you already has this sense of what it means to be a part of that whole because of your mm. family name or your known family wealth story. Um, <clears throat> and so often trying to find one's own identity in the midst of a significant and prominent family is like a journey that's so much harder than you would think it would be, right? Whether it's feeling like you're not good enough because the bar for success has been set so high that just being kind of like even an above average worker, contributor, earner isn't as amazing as, you know, a father or a grandmother or someone who was just had that Midas touch. Um, and so really trying to cr to carve out a sense of who you are separate from your family and ultimately able to reintegrate into your family while still holding that, that individual identity is super important um, and such an important developmental thing that happens during the 20s and can often get lost. Yeah. Um, so that's identity clutter. Relationship clutter is one, this one actually came out really clearly in the research I did when I was at Penn and I was, um, I was trying to understand what were the character traits and skills that rising gen who were thriving in their lives, who were just truly knocking it out of the park. What did what were the character traits and skills they had in common? One of the things that that came out of that research was that they had at some period in their life, um, they had a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend that that they absolutely knew loved them for who they were, who they are, and not. Um, not for their family name or for the the benefits of being a friend and and in that they really had this felt lived sense of of an authentic friendship of like this person has my back and um and that while it seems like that shouldn't be so hard to find because culturally we have a pretty confused relationship with money and wealth and power and prominence we it, it is more difficult than one would think to actually build the skill you know that radar to know like when am i in an authentic friendship um mm -hmm. and how does that feel and what does reciprocity feel like and and equality feel like in in a friendship when 
um, when it can get quickly obscured by you know the power differentials that happen when one person has more wealth and you know can invite a friend on vacation or so, those kinds of things so yeah. <clears throat> that relationship clutter is so essential to deal with because our felt sense of worthiness in the world comes in part from the from the relationships we're in from the sense of i am i am worthy and lovable because i am not because i have and um and so it's another really important piece of the puzzle um and then finally contribution clutter this one i called contribution and not work clutter because i think work has such a strong association with paid work and yeah we you know we all know that it's not necessary to get paid for your work in order to act to really be a contributor um it does help like there in my work i've experienced that getting paid often is a way that rising gen can start to prove to themselves that like i i can do this on my own like i know i could earn on my own if i needed to there's some value to that but it's not necessary to get paid in order to contribute one of the things that I have seen uh, time and time again is that when um, for Rising Gen who are in a situation where they don't have to work in order to cover all their expenses, there's this sense that that there's a confusion around like removing the financial need to work somehow removes the human need to work. And as humans, we are wired for contribution. We are wired to know that we matter right that like i bring this unique skill set into the world in whatever big or small way that i might and that i'm a part of a cycle where i i give out and i get feedback that it matters that i do that and mm -hmm. and without without having some felt sense of contribution it's really tough to have a real experience of meaning and without meaning it's really tough to have a sense that you matter and so this idea of um of really sorting through the difference between the drive to work because you have a financial need and the drive to work because you want to bring your your gifts and skills to the world um it's an it's just an important and very sticky place of clutter so talk to me and you can pick any one of the clutters that you just identified but what's a good practice to organize or to shed right, some of the clutter that is maybe your anchor, your hurdle, your roadblock, or just not actually contributing to you thriving? What are what would be one pathway to start to organize or to let go of some of those unneeded clutter items? Yeah, I, it, it's a great question. I, um, I talk about in the book, I actually outline a seven step process for, for doing just that. Um, one and maybe one of the things that we could do that would be um helpful i'll have to i'll have to pull it together but in chapter one of the book um i actually outline the clutter clearing process um so maybe we could pull that together and give that as a download for for listeners so they actually have the seven step process um Fantastic. basically what i've outlined is that that there's both inner clutter right and i just talked about that being sort of um mindset and belief system and kind of this like this internal landscape that we filter information through that comes in from the world into us and and that tending to that inner clutter 
makes it so that we can be more aligned and specific as we start to tend to the outer clutter. And outer clutter is things like being clear on the outcome that you want to create, right? It might be like this is a clearing clutter is like a lifetime long process. It's all part of our each of our evolution is to recognize like I I'm unhappy with something in my life. It's not working. I I, I need to recognize like what what are the beliefs that are getting in the way of my ability to to change that? So in this case, let's pick money clutter and and think about how often I hear rising gen get really tangled up when they when they feel like um, like maybe they they want to they may want to actually support themselves or even know what it would take to support themselves financially, but they have this sense of like that is sort of big like that's a whole territory of stuff i don't know anything about i'm an artist or i'm a you know I, i'm a philanthropist i don't know how the money stuff works and so they have a belief that that they can't or are not skilled to know how that works and then that manifests itself in an outer behavior of not engaging like when quarterly statements show up or when the you know the family's advisor says hey we should talk about your investments there's always a sense of like no 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 like you take care of that I, I don't, you know, I don't understand this stuff. Yeah. And all of that perpetuates this, this sort of outer, inner and outer experience of being very stuck and, um, and in some ways in, infantilized, right? Like we can create a system and, and rising gen and our, in our client families can buy into the system where they don't have to really know what it takes to support their lives, to, to um to understand how money flows in and out of their life to be engaged in those decisions and it doesn't mean that that we all have to be financial experts i would not consider myself a financial expert but i would consider myself someone who is actively engaged in understanding how money flows through my life where it's coming from how it's invested what do i what do i think about those things how do you you know how do i hire good advisors that i trust so that when they give me information i can, I can distill that and trust that. That's all part of, of understanding and clearing money, money clutter is being able to, to cultivate a beneficial mindset. Like I am capable of this. And in fact, this will be part of me owning my own life, right? So you, you cultivate that beneficial mindset. You recognize that there are beliefs that like a belief would be like, I, I am really intelligent. I've proved that many times in my life in other domains. Like I can, I can bring my intelligence to this and learn this too. That's a, a beneficial belief. Um, and then when you decide like, okay, now what do I need to do about that? You can start tackling little things, right? Okay, I'm gonna set up an, a meeting with, the, with our family office um, advisor and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask them to help me understand these quarterly statements. Or I'm gonna ask them to help me understand my personal cash flow. Let, let me see where money's coming in, help me understand how I could track where money's going out. And all of that is part of an upward cycle of, of clutter clearing where each time you get more education, more um, a, a stronger level of confidence. And then each uh, that is this upward cycle that supports your ability to learn new things in bigger, more complex domains and eventually feel like, okay, now I know how to sit in the driver's seat. Now I can actually think about, you know, the role of being a co-trustee and what that might entail. What, how might I really be able to to serve that role well? Um, 
So is that is that is that helpful? Super helpful. And I love thinking about the idea of being stuck, not as you don't care, you're not good enough, you're not competent, but maybe it's just a wake up call to say if you're feeling stuck, then you might actually be burdened with some of this clutter that we're talking about today. And that might actually be a call to action to not wallow in your sorrows or your self-pity or your frustrations, but to actually pick up Kristen's book. Um, and I would I would equally say that the that this is powerful for parents and grandparents and advisors who are trying to figure out how to help people um, get more clear and focused on what is gonna make them the the best self, right? Their their best version of their self. And I do really love your book because I know you're talking to a lot of sort of rising gen, but the reality is you're talking to all of us um, yep. in this book. And and we can all take a moment to just reflect and say, boy, you know, spring shouldn't be the only time that we think about cleaning. Maybe there's an opportunity to like let go of some stuff that isn't really helping us, isn't really propelling us forward. It might be anchoring us to things that, you know, past legacy uh, modalities that just don't apply to where we are today. So I, I love the, um, the just the framework that you provided, the guidance, um, the, the steps and process to approach it. Um, where, I mean, this is a Wiley publication, so you can certainly get the book on Wiley, but where else do you see, Kristen, a lot of people finding your book? Um, so certainly um, Amazon is like a sort of where everybody goes first. But if anybody is interested in buying in bulk, I have I have copies that I can um, that I can share at a discounted price um, to ship out if, if a family office. I've had a number of um, family foundations and family offices ask for copies for their for their all their family members, and I'm really happy to to send those out um, at a discount. And, and I think you make a really good point, Kirby, that um, I, I want to underscore again, which is this book was written for the rising gen, but it was also written for their parents and for their advisors. And there, um, there are specific chapters in here for all three, um, you know, parents and advisors also have their own special chapters in here. And I think that as, as advisors are listening to this podcast, like I've had a quite a few advisors email me and say, I picked up your book because I wanted to read it before giving it to clients. And I realize I have quite a bit of money clutter. Like I have some work to do before I can be better at serving my clients because I, I have some stuff I need to clean up. And I think the same is true for parents where we think that we are, per, you know, we are, we all have our blind spots and the places where we may be passing on beliefs about identity, you know, well, this is who we are that can have a really positive upside. And it can also be very limiting for a rising gen to decide who they are if there's only this like, our family looks like this, we do this. We're, the, we're this pillar in our community. And um, so I guess I would just say, and as a, as a concluding invitation to that, probably anybody listening to this podcast has some hat in this that is relevant in this book, right? A rising gen, a parent or an advisor like there, I think we all have some work to do around our collective relationship with money and wealth and recognizing that the more we clean our own clutter, the better we can, one, be on our lives, but 
also be for our families and for our clients. Fantastic. Kristen Kepler, author of The Myth of the Silver Spoon, pick it up, download it, get your copy today. It's an incredible contribution to our field. And I'm so grateful for your friendship, the work that you're forwarding, and all the good that you're bringing to us on the Tamron Learning Podcast. So thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for having me, Kirby. I'm excited to have been in this conversation with you.